as part of a collaboration between the Day and the University of Connecticut's Department of Journalism, we bring you a series of audio reports called Sound on the Sound, which explores how music shapes New London. The Yukon Journalism students spoke to musicians, business people, city and regional officials, educators, and others. In this episode of The Storyline, we hear a story written and produced by Allison Cross. What are the sounds of the sound? New London's relationship with the Thames River and Long Island Sound has shaped its history and musical lineage. The bodies of water have served New London as economic drivers of industry. Before New London became the city of more than 27,000 that we know today, it was Connecticut's first official port a whaling city, and a key location in America's fight for independence against Britain. But the history of New London starts even earlier than that. Before European colonizers claimed New London as their own in 1646, the Western Nahantic, Pequot, and Mohegan tribes were stewards of the land. Back then, the Thames and the Sound had different names, and the people relied on the water to travel, fish, fertilize their harvests, and create sacred beads out of shells. Melissa Tantaquidgen Zobel serves as the medicine woman of the Mohegan tribe in Connecticut. Zobel explained the cultural significance of New London's waterways and the music lost and preserved during colonization. This river, the Massapequa Thames, has always carried the sound of drums, and so has the coastline. The coastline is also a place where there would have been a lot of drumming to greet people coming, uh, to greet travelers. Um, there is a traveling song, um, and people use them in much the same way. You know, it keeps you rowing, it keeps you paddling, it keeps you going. And, uh, and so they're usually very upbeat types of songs. Singing would have been in- involved with so many activities. Um, and so many ceremonies and uh, and was really a constant in our lives. Uh, uh, the language was something that would have been really, really wonderful to share, but was intentionally eradicated by colonialism and mostly by missionaries in, in this area. Uh, and as far as s- some of the things that go with that, like song and dance, they were also eradicated almost completely, but not completely, completely. There are remnants of those things that we still hold dear. Um, Regardless of the fact that much music was silenced on the river, um, drums have never really fully been silenced on the river, you know, and and drums are something you can do in the woods and you can do in private and in secret, and you can't always tell where a drum is coming from, right? But the drums carry. One of our elders, Sharon Maynard, mentioned to me once, she said, you know, when you're when you're canoeing in the river, Native people, it's a different sensation. You become the river. You're part of the river, right? You're in that being. You're within that being. Um, so um, so that relationship, I think, is, is key to understanding, you know, Mohegans in the river. Sobel explained how environmental conservation guided traditional life. She said that for the Mohegans, the water was alive just as much as the fish that swam in it. 
and it was protected and respected like all other living beings. A key part of Mohegan spirituality was wampum, beads made from the shells of white whelk snails and purple quahog clams that were used in ceremonies and agreements as a spiritual cleanser. Sobel explained how once European colonizers came to southeastern Connecticut, the Mohegan life, which was centered on the sea and river, was changed forever. Oysters were one of the central items in our diet and clams. So basically, oysters, clams, and deer. That's what we lived on. Um, it was a wonderful, abundant food source. And at the time when Europeans first arrived, the river, the Thames was so thick that literally it was teeming with fish and people couldn't believe, you know, the amount of fish. But then it was very, very quickly overfished uh, by colonists. We still are trying to get back, you know, like the sturgeon and some of these other species that were radically, radically overfished. Um, as the river became overfished and there wasn't enough fish, then folks had to think about other ways to get food. Women here had always been agricultural. We have an amazing agricultural history in New England, which is fortunate because that got us through. Um, and so what happened was a lot of the men, instead of hunting and fishing, they were pushed into farming. Well, that was not their cultural place. That was traditionally for women. So rather than do that, a lot of them were very excited by whaling because then they could go back to sea. And the thing about whaling, thanks to the wonderful research of Jason Mancini, is that we know that um, people of color were paid the same as anybody. Whaling was very uh, equal opportunity. So a lot of men said, well, you know, I want to get paid for my work. And so they went into whaling. And uh, that brought them in touch with the sea again. You know, it's kind of a horrible, messy business whaling, but um, there's, there's camaraderie of, of the men on board. There's, you know, there's a good wage and you're going to eat. Storm is gone, that good old man. Where's Storm Long John? Where's Storm Long John? Storm is gone. In the mid 1800s, New London's unique deep water harbor allowed the city to become the second largest whaling port in the world. Between 1718 and 1908, more than 1,000 whaling expeditions departed from New London and the industry supported a flourishing economy. At the Shaw Mansion, I sat down with Steve Manuel, the executive director of the New London County Historical Society, to learn more about the whaling industry and the maritime culture that came to define New London for generations. If you really sit down and think about it, the maritime was a community that was global. Okay, they had uh, they had their own music, they had their own language, right? They have different pidgin languages because as a mariner, you could work for any country. And often they had to depict mariners as uh, unintelligent, and that's not the case. Most could read, um, the majority could read, and most spoke several languages. They, they needed to know enough to be able to do their jobs aboard ships. The men would be aboard these ships, oh, anywhere from three to nine years. The longest voyage was 11 years. And they would go out um, to sea and they would send the goods back to New London. They wrote, they read, 
Um, they played music. They played games. We cold up in New London on a hot one in July. Through Fisher's Island Sound, the Beatrice did ply. Away to Mason's Island, we bore straight down. The sea looked like raindrops, so them bonies dancing round. During one voyage in 1855, a group of New London whalers found and salvaged a British naval ship abandoned in the ice of the North Atlantic. That ship was the HMS Resolute. As a symbol of friendship, the United States restored and returned the vessel to the British. After Queen Victoria decommissioned the ship, she gifted President Rutherford B. Hayes a desk constructed from its wood. The Resolute desk remains a staple of the Oval Office and the Presidency. Manuel explained that the New London County Historical Society's collection of items recovered from the Resolute contains a relic of seafaring music and culture. We have artifacts from the Resolute, and on the Resolute was one book written by, written by Charles Dibden. It's called Dibden Songs. And Charles Dibden was an actor, playwright, and musician. And in 1845, he published this book that, can claim, that contained 770 sea shanties. And sea shanties were a way for um, the men to actually entertain themselves. But it also, if you look at the, the beat of the music and the way it was sung, it was, it was to promote work. Okay, so you sang, you sang it as you worked. So uh, you had different types of um, sea shanties from uh, dirges um, all around. But it was generally, that helped the men work in time. Down below.